so the benefit of like modular design modular construction or one of them is that it's it's a known quantity and you have these like units that you know every nut and bolt and detail about so you can cost things really accurately and you know exactly how big things are and you can dimension things very accurately and so you have all that detail that then you can apply in a kind of computational model and so what we're doing at modulus and what i'm part of in the the tech team is is basically procedural generation of buildings and so the idea is that an architect or a developer will have a site in mind and they'll be able to use our software to plot out the site and it will generate modular homes on that site. Wow. Hello everyone and thanks for tuning into another episode of the Bricks and Bytes podcast, your go-to for all things construction and property technology. On today's show we have Sam Gregson, lead computational designer at Modulus. Modulus created the first globally scalable model for the design and delivery of homes. In this episode, we discuss effective design solutions, computational design, why digitized design, costing, programming and procurement is our future, and many, many more. If you're enjoying our podcast, please check us out on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you enjoyed, please leave us a review. This helps us to get more amazing guests to give you guys the best and most informative content on technology in the built world. And shout out to our sponsor Beta. If you want to connect with some of the biggest players in the construction tech world, including tier one building contractors, some of the biggest construction tech companies, investors and advisors, check them out by visiting www.d-beta.com and this is www.d hyphenbeta.com. You are listening to Bricks and Bytes podcast, where we take you on a journey in construction, technology, and business. All right, let's get this episode started. Tell us about your journey from a structural engineer to your current role at Modulus. Yeah, in terms of like, this kind of technology side i guess like at university i actually started doing an aeronautical engineering degree and there was like a little bit of coding in that so that kind of started there and then i decided to switch to structural engineering more because i I didn't I, i wanted to be creating buildings that kind of were more useful to society and maybe was worried about the career trajectory of maybe like designing planes that that bomb and kill people so it was like (laughs) a slightly ethical thing but anyway i kind of digress so yeah i worked went into structure engineering and there's not a lot of kind of tech in the education there so i saw a bit of a difference there which was interesting but i played around with grasshopper even like during university because my architecture uh, my structural engineering degree had a bit of architecture in it and uh, kept on playing with that and trying to force it into all the work that i was doing even if it was like very basic mundane stuff trying to weave it in so i've always had an interest there and ended up doing 
like a lot of interoperability. So just like passing data between software packages, because as engineers, we use like lots of different structural, lots of different packages like Revit and analysis. And you're always like struggling with passing data between the two. Mm -hmm. So did a lot of that and then developed optimization algorithms and stuff alongside my structural engineering. And then a year ago, I took a bit of a kind of career shift and joined Modulus. And, and what kind of excited me about Modulus was that like beforehand, I, I did some like amazing projects, really interesting, amazing architecture, like fosters and partners designs and, and stuff wow. like that. Yeah. Um, but, but, and that was where I saw kind of computational design being used mostly, but a lot of it because of the, like the crazy geometry that you get on these like projects. And then Modulus was this first time that uh, that I saw like an opportunity to apply computational design to, to the everyday and going back to the homes that people live in. And that kind of goes back to why I went down the kind of structure engineering route as opposed to the aeronautical was like being able to design homes and stuff that like beneficial to, to society. <laughs> yeah. yeah, rather than the luxury things that only affect the rich. So yeah, so it went full circle there in a way or yeah. So that's, that excites me about the change in computational design is it's in a way trickling down to the more mundane stuff. And whereas before it was just like the fancy projects and, that, and that's right. pretty mm -hmm. cool seeing that change. Yeah. Uh, Sam, what's yeah. go on, man. All right. I'm very happy that it's, I can hear you very well and you can hear me as well. Yeah. Sam, you said that you were quite heavily involved in interoperability like between software and usually engineers or professionals within the design industry, they struggle with this, with these models transferring from one to another. I think, I feel like this is a major problem actually. And the reason, and people also don't want to take responsibility for their models. And there's a caveat that the models is only used for X, Y, Z. It cannot be used for the rest of the things for other professionals to work on the models sometimes. Yeah. Uh, why is it so complicated in general? Why can it not be much simpler and yeah, what's, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, every time you move between one piece of software to another, you lose data. You're like, you lose something, you can't keep everything because it just, I mean, there's, yeah, there's always a compromise and that kind of makes things difficult. But also I think a fundamental problem is that every a bit of analysis you do or any everything, every piece of software requires something different. So one task might be to just generate a nice render. <laughs> And that doesn't require like your geometry to be perfect, to be perfectly aligned in your vertices to node out and stuff like that. It's just got to look. And then when it comes to like an analysis that an MEP engineer would do, everything's got to be completely like watertight because you don't want energy kind of escaping. You don't want holes in your model, but it can be 2D. It doesn't need to be 3D. And then when it comes to Revit, everything's got to be 3D. So kind of software all requires different things. And it's like translating your geometry into something else and closing those holes or making it 2D and 3D and mm. kind of meshing it for analysis and stuff that makes it yeah, quite probably. tricky. Yeah. So like broadly speaking, do we say that we don't have enough computational power to deal with like having one stop shop for all of the designers? I'm very broadly speaking about it. Huh. Yeah, the problem with a one-stop shop approach is that 
I just, I don't think it's possible. Like, I don't think it's possible for, I don't know if Nate Autodesk are eventually yeah. trying to take over they're the world everything. and they're trying to do everything. But it's really, you need like a giant to, if that's possible, then you need like a giant to do that, to try and buy up as many companies as you can and like, like shove them in as plugins to one piece of software. I think that's the only way that yeah. you could potentially. That, that's definitely, a, that's definitely something that's becoming more popular in construction like you just mentioned autodesk yeah they're trying to get as much as they can bring in, and also procore as well like they have a marketplace where everything is just plugged other people develop software and it's all plugged into this central place because yeah. a lot of software is very fragmented and you have to have 50 logins just to run one right. project or whatever it is yeah but the other approach is i guess that is quite common is that you have like your one kind of source of truth that you try and keep in one place and then you try, you feed it out to the appropriate software. So you try and build up as much information in that central kind of source of truth model that you can, and then you use plugins to fire it out. So people doing that in Rhino and Grasshopper is their kind of source of truth because you can. There's lots of plugins that feed into that. You can send it to Revit. You can send it to do daylight in analysis and stuff. So that's the other approach rather than just having one piece of software. Yeah. It makes sense. And, and when you have a separate company, like they're more specially focused on solving one small thing. So exactly. Yeah. Rather and than doing that very focus. well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'd love to ask you more about how like someone may get into computational design. That's like going for a, let's say a traditional kind of career, like a structural engineer, but we can touch on that later before we get there. What is your definition of computational design? Because it's probably some people may only be introduced to this term, but it's obviously been around for perhaps a lot longer than we envisage. It's just more recent with like technological evolution. It's becoming a lot more advanced. Yeah, I don't know. I actually struggle to define it. I guess it's just like designing with computers <laughs> in the broadest sense. And maybe it changes as well as technology changes. Like the, yeah, like the term AI kind of changes because what's clever today and yeah in terms of technology and seems very clever changes like 10 years later it, it won't be ai anymore because it's not clever yeah. anymore it's i'm sure technology and yeah. i think computational design similar but i just i like to just define it in the broadest sense of designing with computers yeah i guess <laughs> keep it simple yeah, yeah. On this technology change, like when we spoke first in December, there was no concept of chat GPT, right? At that time, mm -hmm. just, it just yeah. emerged a few months ago. Yeah, so things changed quite quickly. Do you see any machine learning applications to computational design and construction engineering? Yeah, it's funny because my opinion on that has changed. Like even in the last six months or something, I, I was quite pessimistic about neural networks, deep learning, machine learning for architecture. And I think my, my main kind of hesitancy was twofold. One is that it obviously requires like a lot of data. And I don't feel like we have that data. Like we don't, in the construction industry, we don't share data like wildly. So you'd need- That's what one, I was saying. Yeah. That's what I was saying. That everyone company. has their- Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing, is that well my original thoughts anyway were that like we need something very specific in the construction industry we don't just want a pretty picture at the end if you want a pretty picture you can get that you can get ai to or machine learning to generate that if a few pixel values are a bit off it's fine it still looks pretty but if we're 
what we want is something that that stands up or does it and i was it's accurate that, that kind of concerned me the accuracy yes. exactly but i think there are use cases and using machine learning and one way of getting around the data problem is i see people using deep learning for surrogate models and um, what does that mean and that's an approximate model to your to what you're actually trying to do so for example computational fluid dynamics is quite expensive to do like it takes takes like at least a few minutes to run like one analysis so it's quite heavy from a computational point of view but if you can generate those that data yourself but you just need a lot of time you could imagine like leaving a computer to to run these models for a couple of weeks then suddenly you have a lot of data that you can you can put it put into a model which generates an approximation a surrogate model but the benefit of that surrogate model even though it's just an approximation is that it's super quick and you can you can get results in milliseconds mm. Yeah. And then you can start playing about with that model. So that's a really interesting approach that you you generate the data slowly and then you feed it into a model and then you can get snappy, quick results. And then you can apply it to your design and say, if we move this here, what happens? And then it becomes interactive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Rather than waiting yeah. 10 minutes to see what happens when you move a column or yes. something. So that's a really so that's interesting use case. That is super interesting. Yeah. That is super is interesting. interesting. When might that be applied, Sam, to perhaps, let's say, the real world? Like, might it be someone who's designing like a house or a, like a multi-story building? Or any ideas? Yeah, I mean, anything, anything that that requires like analysis that that takes a bit of time. And mm -hmm. I guess like it's maybe. Yeah, I mean, you could do it with daylighting studies, although that's a little bit cheaper than CFD studies, but like radiation analysis and any buildings that has a building and you put in your context and where the sun is and you can get your kind of radiation studies. As long as the data like translates to what you're working on and it's mm -hmm. not like crazy world. And actually, as going back to what I was saying before, like the more kind of mundane or like typical your building is, the more that it will match the data because if it's just like boxes and rectangles then that's going to match your data much more if that's what you've trained it on compared to maybe if you stick in the hardhead building then maybe it doesn't quite translate that's slightly more difficult so, well, so again like it... computational design being used on the more mundane which is quite interesting yeah that was gonna that leads nicely on to like my next question given that we have used computational design for a long while what are more some of the recent developments, say, within the last, I don't know, five years that perhaps people with businesses now are not necessarily using because they started 10 years ago just using CAD and basic system? Is there any recent advancements people should be aware of or any incoming, perhaps you might mm -hmm. know? Yeah, I don't know. Obviously, we've spoken about deep learning. Um, I can only speak to my experience yeah. of what I've been doing. So obviously like parametric. You're way more advanced than most people out there. <laughs> don't know about that. There's, you scroll through LinkedIn and you get like tons of stuff. Lots of people like doing this kind of stuff now. But uh, yeah, so parametric design, like that's, that, I, that's been around like 10 years plus now with the likes yeah. of Grasshopper and stuff. So that's, and that's where it started out for me as well. And then 
beyond that, like once you have a parametric model, you can optimize it. You can feed it into a like genetic algorithm is a kind of typical mm. algorithm that you use, which automatically changes your parameters and optimizes for whatever fitness function you okay. want. And that's been ticking along nicely for yeah, 10 years, I think. And everyone's mm. caught up to that more or less now. All the kind of big firms at least have a couple of guys who you know, know how to yeah. do that. But I guess what's interested me is actually like I've taken a lot of inspiration from the games industry. They're doing a lot of like research on what they called proceed what they call procedural content generation and looking at the kind of algorithms that they use and exploring the different algorithms. So it's not just genetic algorithms and going a bit further. Like wow. sounds very advanced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be. It's just you can have yeah, taking inspiration from what other guys are doing. The, like the the algorithm that was the AlphaGo that kind of beat yeah. the champion at the go champion at yeah. Go. Like they had some deep learning in there, which was like really fancy and cleverly engineered. But the kind of core of the algorithm was something called a Monte Carlo tree search, which is actually quite a, a simple algorithm. And that was what got them there and looking at like this, a sequence of moves. And that kind mm -hmm. of, I find quite interesting, like looking at architecture or engineering as a sequence of actions that you take and framing it in that sense, you can use some of these algorithms. And so I've been exploring like a lot of different algorithms recently. That's been kind of quite interesting mm -hmm. and fun for me. Yeah, nice. Okay. And so on to like more modulus, should we say, related <laughs> stuff. What role does computational design have in developing like innovative modular solutions? And do you have any examples? Yeah. So the benefit of like modular design, modular construction, or one of them is that it's, it's a known quantity and you have these like units that you know every nut and bolt and detail about. So you can cost things really accurately and you know exactly how big things are and you can dimension things very accurately. And so you have all that detail that then you can apply in a kind of computational model. And so what we're doing at Modulus and what I'm part of in the, the tech team is, is basically procedural generation of buildings. And uh, so the idea is that an architect or a developer will have a site in mind and they'll be able to use our software to plot out the site and it will generate modular homes on that site. Wow. A modular apartment what, down to the nut and bolt or yeah yeah essentially oh, really? yeah, wow. yeah. So, impressive. so we have yeah, um we have our own modular units that we've designed with down to the nut and bolt and so our software is web-based but at the end you can download the result as a revit file and you can download oh. the plans and pdfs of all the kind of metrics and we even cost it as well wow. so that that, <laughs> that shows the power because we have all that we have all that knowledge embedded in the models. We can do all that and we can design it down to a T. But that's that that's the fun bit is like trying to trying to put an architect's brain into a computer or kind of make clever decisions that is not just completely random. And that's the challenge of like where do you put your buildings and how do you solve this problem? And the idea is not to replace an architect. It's not to like we don't claim to to be able to 
designed better than an architect that will spend a month on this, but it's to speed up the process and allow them to iterate and much faster and say, what if I do this or give me some ideas? Oh, that seems interesting. Yeah. What if we explore yeah, yeah, that yeah. a little bit more and move this here and tweak that? So it's about iterating faster, basically. And for an architect, from an architect's point of view and from a developer's point of view, it's about yeah. getting some quick results very quickly. And they might not be like tuned, 100% developed, but you get some very quick like feedback, 90% there, and then they can get those numbers back and understand if a site is viable or, or not or whatever yeah. they might be looking for. Well, if this is like something that's like a next thing for to me that needs to happen just to improve the project flow, because usually how it happens is there's an idea, architects have an idea during the project, or there's some change from the investor sites. And then there's five, six people gathering in the room and talking about these changes and then agreeing on the next timescales for the next changes to be implemented for the other people to yeah. see what's the outcome of these changes. Yeah. And that's basically a one month gone, 15,000 pounds for the design teams as well. Feels like it should be done much more, much quicker and without so much, so many professionals getting involved on the, such a deep, detailed level. Yeah. And I Mine, think... Don't talk yourself out of a job. I think it can build trust as well, potentially, because you have essentially a live model that you can play about with. And so rather than just uh, in conversations with an architect or an engineer saying, why didn't you do this? And just having to trust them because they say well, it, it didn't feel right. We haven't tried it. But like my professional judgment says that's not a good thing. You can say, well, okay, let's do it. Look, you can see that it has this impact and you can kind of play about with that model. So conversations mm -hmm. with clients is potentially easier because you have mm -hmm. that, that you can show them the results for. It's just it's not the core project offering, is it, of, of Modulus? Is this something you're personally working on? Or is this what like Modulus is going towards right now? No, this is, yeah, massive part of is what it? we offer. But as I alluded to, we do have our own kind of product or design for modular units. But kind of what makes us unique is that we don't kind of outsource the fabrication. So we don't have our own factories, which as a startup having factories is a massive investment required to do that and it makes you more more vulnerable and it yeah. makes it harder to scale as well like trying to scale it across the country or even globally makes it more difficult if you have these kind of set factories so yeah. we we have designed but that's outsourced to partners yeah, yeah. And, so the and, business model would... and actually what, what sorry go on. no so yeah so just to finish on that although we also we have our own design we are also looking to partner with other fabricators of modular units and embed their modular units into our software so the idea is that they provide us with a revit model that we upload to our software and then we can start playing about with their units so that's yeah. another source of revenue for us and another kind of way that we expand our, our software for different use cases. So the business model and business case of Modulus is to provide software and solutions for modular fabrication. Would you say that? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the main bit that, that, I'm, mm. that I'm part of. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So feels like it's everything is going towards like consolidation. So there is some, there is a software, great software, let's say Modulus, who can provide, which can provide great designs, which are scalable 
and used in the various types of developments. And then these can be sent to the fabricators all across the country or, or in various places in the globe and can be manufactured. Yeah? So do you, would you say that in construction, we are going towards consolidation of the process towards one kind of entity of software provider, which solves all of it, or is it not the case? So what we're focusing on is the initial stages, the kind of feasibility concept. So we would expect there to be further development. And that's one of the reasons why we provide export options, for example, to Revit. So we're not designing foundations, for example, and that kind of thing. So it's, there is, there's still stuff to be worked out. And I think, yeah, I think we're, we're far from having a one-stop shop anywhere and i don't think we yeah we're not going to be providing that anytime soon because it's a yeah. massive challenge in a few years yeah give us a few years part. guys <laughs> it makes sense because yeah. that is like the idea behind modular right it's more consolidated than uh, another process so. yeah and that makes yeah, our makes job sense. easier to some extent yeah nice um, and what does a day in the life of someone a computational designer modulus look like so i'm like pretty much 100% coding at the moment, mm -hmm. working from home in front of my laptop, using <laughs> 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 just so, yeah, just coding in TypeScript, JavaScript, having yeah. now and again, having meetings with the other guys and the various teams that we have, in-house experts in their fields, MEP engineers and architects to make sure that what we're doing on the computations side kind of matches expectations and is in line with rules fire engineering rules and what the architects expect and all that kind of stuff and how many people work under the software side technical side so we're about 15 out of 50. wow oh so that's 20 percent of the business right more or less yeah yeah 30%, 30% of the business. That's crazy. So thinking about it, like construction company, 30% of 20, 30% of the staff working on the code, yeah? which mm -hmm. for example, 10, year, 10 years ago, you probably have zero or 15 years oh, ago. Yeah. Yeah? Even now, yeah. even now, the majority yeah. of things yeah. is no one's doing any technical stuff in businesses. So other guys who are working on software, are they also like engineers and programmers or they are more programmers or yeah it's quite what it's a bit mixed but i would hmm. say because we're also split into front end and back end we've got like the database guys and the guys who are doing the ui and the ux and everything on the kind of front end like making it work nicely with users and stuff and there's like me in the middle uh with a, a few other guys looking at the algorithms and how we translate architectural kind of intent into a building. So I think that's the fun bit, but, but so we are, we, yeah. So a lot of those guys come from a developer background, like they're used to doing their backend database stuff or their front end design or their front end coding and stuff. But then we have a couple of guys more like me who have a more of an architectural background or an engineering background so a bit of a mix mm -hmm. yeah that's an incredible talent to be able to do like structural engineer background then go into coding like to yeah it's just it makes sense and i think more people will be required to have that skill set as well yeah. as technology advances can you share any breakthroughs or innovations that maybe modulus or even you personally have had developed in the previous years 
Uh, in what sense? Breakthroughs? Of... Technologically, with design or mo the modular side of things? In construction, broadly, I would say, right, as well. Even that you notice. Yeah. yeah, generally speaking, yeah, it could be. Like what, the question I would say, I would, if I could add on this bit, like what is generating the what is generating the the possible change? Is it like better computers or is it better software that coders are creating along with engineers? So interoperability between the technical knowledge of the design industry, engineers, architects, and the coding staff who can put the things together. Like what is the thing that is improving the innovation? Hmm. Also, I think it's. I think it's mainly down to a change in attitude, actually, and like mm -hmm. people in the construction industry more willing to adopt technology. Obviously, there's a lot of like breakthroughs in like we've already discussed in the last few years in technology and deep learning and stuff. And I don't think they've trickled through yet, really, in a meaningful way. But they provide kind of inspiration and people maybe realize that, that there is something to technology and it can do interesting things. But I think, yeah, well, one of the challenges is maybe some companies don't kind of realize that they need a diverse set of skills, maybe. They're yeah. like a, I think it's they want a, a chartered engineer with so many years experience who has worked with these materials and that's that's what they fill their offices with and maybe it's a, there needs to be a bit more and you're seeing it a bit more of a mind shift of saying this guy doesn't tick these boxes but has these skills here and need to get more of a broad set of skills in the office i think and with i think that's what yeah. we're seeing yeah, yeah, we, I would definitely agree with you on that. It's you meant you touch on awareness, and obviously with things like ChatGPT, like people, that is like such pop culture yeah, in terms yeah. of the tech world that people now look at that. Anyone can use it; it's so easy to use. And you mm. wonder, people are not using that. Then what disadvantage are they going to be at in terms of running their business? And are the people that can't use a tool like ChatGPT or whatever, will they fall behind as a business? I don't know. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Similarly, if you're not hiring people that have got like a technical, technologically technical skill set and just like a chartered skill set, then you may be in the same boat. In yeah, a few years. I think so. I like to compare a lot of, as a structural engineer, I like to compare this with FEA, for example, Which finite is, element FEA? analysis, just, you know, what every structural engineering firm uses to do their like analysis and make sure a column is strong enough and they build their models in. Right. That's just okay. so commonplace. Everyone does that now, bar like a few very traditional like companies. But like Martin, do you use it? Yeah, we use software and software is based on this. Yeah. OK, cool. Just <laughs> 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 and it's yeah, so it's really commonplace. But at one point it was just for those fancy projects like it would it was just when you got like a Sydney Opera House come along, yeah. they'd be like, "Oh, let's get the computers out." And I think, I think it's, I think <laughs> Can it's we blow the, the dust off this, <laughs> wipe down the screen, and hopefully it switches on. If it had a screen back then, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I feel okay. like it's just a matter of time, and what feels fancy now is not necessarily going to be fancy. Yeah, absolutely. What's your so, yeah. thoughts on like generative design and AI driven tools in terms of designing and even bonus point, can that be applied to modular construction? So 
when you say AI, what do you mean? Or gen- what do you mean like you, generative AI? You, you mentioned earlier that like you had someone that was using like neural networks to, to create, I can't remember the exact term you used. Yeah, diffusion models. Diffusion uh, models, yeah. Yeah, so you should check him out. So the company's called Plan Finder. Uh, okay. So he uses diffusion models, which is like the mid the same stuff that Mid Journey is the same technology. Mid Journey is based on, but instead of generating pretty pictures, you generate apartment floor Design. plans, and so That's it requires awesome. different data to be fed into it. And I, yeah, I think it's quite interesting. But again, like it's that question of data and what data you have. Like I've seen people kind of toy with the idea of using like the data on OpenStreetMaps or Google Maps to train a model. So this mm. we have, although not like detailed data, we have street networks and building outlines. And can you train yep. a model to produce building shapes at a high level and then extrapolate or go into more detail afterwards? So a kind of more urban design perspective. Yeah. Sam, I just wanted to gauge your thoughts on talent in construction yourself a structural engineer transition to computational designer how do you see construction being attractive for young people to stay within the profession of engineering or architecture uh, you mentioned earlier game industry i think there is not enough gaming in the design i would hmm. say for young people also to get attracted to it and be willing to work in the construction what do you think yeah Yeah, I do. I do think it's challenging. You can disagree, of course. No, I do think there's probably like better paid jobs out there with a similar set of skills, potentially going into like more traditional like coding or something is some well paid jobs. But I think like partly the kind of love of the like the industry or like what you what I really like is like being able to see and touch like something that you've worked on creating yeah exactly rather than it maybe just being something on a screen so it's someone like, else said something similar like, actually yeah they had, yeah we had one recently and they said that was their exact kind of reason for being in construction was that they loved being able Creation. to be involved at the start yeah and then seeing the end product oh. as opposed to creating something that then just like disappears from there yeah so i think if it was all about money then i probably wouldn't be in this (laughs) career path because but it's i'm not saying it's is badly paid by any means but i'm just saying like the skill sets like are maybe transferable to better paid jobs but yeah it's i like what i do as well yeah it's absolutely not all about the money either what about yeah attracting people because we obviously have a big thing on this podcast of like i say it a lot but attracting like the next generation to construction mm. people don't want to work in a stinking office that's like cold and dusty they want to go and work in all the glass panels and ah so <laughs> any thoughts on how we can attract people yeah i don't know i'm biased i really like the kind of i like the computational design bit if it wasn't mm. for that like that that really excites me and i like tinkering with things and that's yeah writing a bit of code and then seeing it work on your screen as well is really exciting for me and i think it's difficult because like universities have a bit of a challenge i don't think they i don't there's not many courses unless you do like a separate masters or something that will feed coding into Mm -hmm. an undergraduate degree 
And I think like mm. part of that is because they've got so many things they need to teach. They need to get those like basics because you don't want to send out like engineers who don't know how to design a beam or something, <laughs> yeah, but know how to code. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like a, it's a tricky thing for them to deal with. And they've got loads of like boxes they need to tick. But at mm -hmm. the same time, like it's difficult to nurture those skills if you don't do that at an early stage. Yeah. How old is modules? That's a good question, actually. I'm not entirely sure. I think, I think it's probably from it's probably around five years or something. But okay, but it's like really picking up speed in the last like couple of years. Yeah. So just based on this, five years or so, let's say let's be safe and say eight years ago, if there was no modules, and thirty percent of the workforce here are coders and they are working towards improving the construction design and then for fabrication. That means that there is a need for this skill set and there will be need for this skill set in the future to have people who are within the construction, but also are able to code and understand yes. changes within the code, what implications they have on the software that they design in. And then, so how does someone go about that, Sam? How does someone who's interested in computational design and they're coming into construction, should we say, Perfect example is you. How would, what advice would you give them to succeed? Is it like late nights learning how to code on top of your day job? Like, how does it look? Yeah, I don't like that approach though. I don't, I like my free time. I like getting out and like going for a bike and whatever else. Yeah. So I don't think that's a healthy work-life balance. But then again, so my, my approach, and I'm not saying that like I necessarily recommend this, but like I was just trying to wedge it into every single project that I could. You know, and like at the beginning, like you're learning and you're learning something new. So although it has the benefits of being faster, like at the beginning, it's not going to be faster to do something in a conversational yeah. design sort of way because you're learning and it's mm. going to be slower, but it will pay off in the long term. But so that was me. I just like plugged it into to everything and forced, forced my way to do it on projects rather than doing it after school so to speak yeah how might someone do that is it like a matter of educating yourself slightly then applying it to a project you're on and then just keep iterating yeah. and making changes Slow and getting better steady. At it? yeah and like grasshopper is yeah. a great kind of gateway drug to coding <laughs> because you can tinker with things and put things together very quickly and then something doesn't sure. quite work the way you want it and you want to inject a tiny bit of code maybe and you google it and you find someone else's bit of code and you do a bit of copying and pasting and changing yeah. a few numbers and that's kind of <laughs> how it develops. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And now you can it's ask industry for geeky people. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you just ask ChatGPT and it does it all for you anyway. Very advanced. Okay, so should we move on to something off topic? Martin, you kick us off. Yeah, I'm always interested in what people read. What is the book that you could recommend for our listeners to 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 read is there anything that you're reading at this moment oh uh, no i think like in terms of like knowledge for construction industry kind of computational design i think i i do a lot of youtube watching <laughs> i watch especially since like the pandemic like loads of universities have just chucked a load of material knowledge online because they've had yeah. to record it 
And then they've just gone, mm. oh, let's chuck it online. So there's loads of great stuff that you can watch on YouTube. And that's great because you can listen, watch while you're going for a walk or making a coffee or something. That's what I do in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like a stick and yeah. Video. Keep education. Yeah. yeah. Continuous learning. Yeah. Right? And, and in your career as well, it's being a coder, which is, which is something I've noticed about people that do code for a profession is they are lifelong learners. Like you don't really have a choice. Mm. Like a lot of other professions is you just do your job and go home and or do your job and you know it and you learn from yeah, experience, yeah. but you actually have to learn the stuff. Yeah, it changes. Do you have That's any, the um, thing, isn't it? Because like physics doesn't change. So as, a, as yeah. an engineer, like of course you're continually learning through experience, but you don't have to learn necessarily any major new concepts because the physics is yes. the same. But with tech, like the tech changes. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, if I may ask, the chat GPT and all of these machine learning things, is it like, does it mean that there is, there will be a collapse of remuneration for coders in the future because of the fact that chat GPT can code for you and you can just ask them to ask it to, to code something and it will do it for you. Like thinking about the future, I don't know how it works now because I have no idea, but Feels coders are obviously well paid because that's a like a high tech skill. And if this can think can do it for us, for them, then uh, does it collapse the salaries of coders at some point or not? Maybe for the basic stuff. I don't know. It could probably build you a simple website pretty quickly. I've seen like I've seen stuff the video, on yeah. Twitter and stuff. <laughs> I built a website in five minutes. Yeah, someone takes a picture of a piece of paper, don't they, with a scribbled website, and it just gives them, like, the whole HTML. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. yeah, for that, for sure. But I think anything that's, like, properly creative and requires industry knowledge or kind of proper understanding of the challenges, I think, becomes more challenging for something like ChatGPT to tackle. Yeah. Absolutely, and you still have to have you still have to know how things go together. Yeah, as well. you want to modify it, just copy. and you want to. Yeah, someone says, "Oh, this isn't quite working for me. Can you change it?" If you haven't written it, it's very difficult to do. Yeah. Okay, Sam. Where can people find out more about you, Modulus, and perhaps any other endeavors? Oh, for Modulus, check out our website modulus.com yeah. oh for me i don't know probably linkedin sam gregson i don't know what my thing is mm-hmm. i sometimes post stuff. <laughs> that's where i've it's usually your that's name. where i found you uh, okay yeah. yeah yeah it's a good source yeah. yeah yeah so i don't really tweet or anything i am on twitter but mainly just following other people but uh, so linkedin i'll post if if i'm posting something yeah great okay thanks. and hopefully Thank i'll be like doing some conferences now i do conferences now and again i i quite like to do that share share knowledge love kind of sharing things anyone in particular so i've not got any lined up but last year i did built have you heard of built no nope. so what's it i can't actually remember what it stands for but it's let me have a google digital built environment institute is the uh, the institute that put it on so that's, that's, it. that's that, I, that was the first time I went there. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, nice. So lots of interesting stuff about BIM and C and like games engines and yeah. Is it in the UK or is it somewhere else? It's, it's, it's everywhere. So it's, there's like, a, okay. there's a built Europe, 
which changes location within Europe. And then there's one in the States and then mm. there's one in Australia as well. But that oh, wow. I really enjoyed that because there was lots of people there like willing to share their knowledge. And sometimes you mm. go to a conference and they're just <laughs> there to show off the projects they've worked on. Yeah. And that's yeah. not mm. really why you go to a conference. Yeah. Or at least not. It's the old mindset in construction. Right. Yeah. There's a new generation coming for <laughs> changing that. Cool. All right, we best wrap this up. Sam, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, happy to be Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Enjoyed that. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Bricks and Bytes podcast. If you are enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it. And we'll catch you in the next episode.